Folks, we've gotten down in the trenches with mental health before, but never like this. Today, we are going the full distance to the worst possible outcome. Suicide. Welcome to the Just Dumb Enough podcast. I'm your host as always, Colton Petrie. My guest today is Frank King. Frank has been a comedian for almost four decades and wrote for the very famous Tonight Show for 20 years. He's spoken at seven TED events and has several books available on the topic of mental health and suicide, one of which has been the number one bestseller. I'll be honest, as much as his credentials give him an easy in to speak on this show, the way he actually sold me on talking about this very serious topic was by telling me that he knew what the barrel of his gun tasted like. If that's not a testament to the dark places he's been, then I'm not sure what is. I'm also aware that I've had a couple mental health episodes not far apart. I promise I am bringing back the variety, and this will be the last in the mental health series for quite a while. However, I want to do right by this serious problem and acknowledge that it is not a small issue. Most people probably know at least one person in their life who has committed suicide, and that's one too many. I don't want any of us to feel like that is our only way out. I've said it before and I'll say it again. If you're listening right now and you don't know who to talk to or you don't know anyone else, message me. Please. Let's reach out to those we care about before it's too late. Welcome to the show, Frank King. Hey! There, hi there, ho there. Uh, Frank King, the mental health comedian. I speak on suicide prevention as a workplace health and safety issue, which probably raises the question in your mind, wait a minute, did he say comedian and suicide speaking? How in the heck does that work? Good question. That's how I opened up my keynotes, because pretty much everybody in the room is thinking, hold on, hold on. Comedian and suicide prevention. Uh, a couple of reasons I think I'm a good choice for that, and I make my living doing that. Um, if you think about it, the world's first comedians were court jesters. And the court jester's job, you probably know this, was to speak truth to power on behalf of the powerless with humor. So I believe I speak truth to the power of mental illness on behalf of those often powerless in its grip with humor. I believe where there's humor, there is hope. Where there's laughter, there's life that nobody dies laughing. And depression and suicide run in my family. It's something called generational depression and suicide. My grandmother died by suicide. My mother found her. My great aunt died by suicide. My mother and I found her. I was four years old. I screamed for days. And I myself have come close enough to ending my life in April of 2010 following a Chapter 7 bankruptcy. that I can tell you what the barrel of my gun tastes like. Spoiler alert, I did not pull the trigger. A friend of mine heard me speak recently, came up afterwards and said, Hey man, how come he didn't pull the trigger? Well, hey man, could you try to sound slightly less disappointed? <laughs> so 
So that's why a comedian speaks on suicide prevention. Yeah, I mean, it definitely seems like you have the uh, the history to want to take on this message and to want to bring it to people. And it's an interesting take to go from, you know, doing comedy sketches to say like, oh, hey, I could use this to, to talk about an important topic. I always wanted to do that, Colton. I, I, for decades, I wanted to make a living and a difference. I wanted to go from funny speaker to speaker who was funny. I just never could figure out what I had to teach anybody. And then after coming so close to killing myself and realizing that uh, there are more nuts in my family than in a squirrel turd, I could speak on, if I got some training, certification, suicide prevention, I could keynote on that. And come to find out there aren't many men who are not clinicians who talk about that, much less come out on stage and be vulnerable and say, you know, I'm, I'm crazy as an outhouse rat and let my freak fly fly. And so there's a, there's a demand for it. Eight out of 10 people who die by suicide in the U.S. as of this moment are men. And so what I did was I, I became just a suicide prevention speaker. I, I have other speeches, but I don't market them. And, and I picked the number of target markets. I decided, you know what? I bet there's a top 10 list of at-risk occupations. Sure enough. So I, I pitched to six of the top 10 at-risk occupations for suicide. Dentists, veterinarians, physicians, attorneys, agriculture and construction and that's the only people i market to they all have a really big problem they have a pain point i can address and so that's that's my speaking to those groups yeah are there reasons that men have such higher risk of suicide yes they nowadays they call it toxic masculinity but when i was a kid i think this is far more colorful big boys don't cry that's how a lot of men are raised you don't reach out when you have issues, especially emotional or mental issues. You frankly have to, I don't think any guy ever wakes up one morning and thinks to himself, you know what? I need to see a psychologist. You pretty much have to put him in a corner. You have to, the wife has, their spouse has to say, look, I love you, but I'm not going to put myself and these kids through this. Unless you get help, I'm out of here. Or the boss, look, Bob, you're a great employee, but if you don't go and talk to HR about the, you know, the employee, employee assistance program to get yourself some mental health help, you're done. Don't come back. So that's kind of where, and that's, that's why um, two co-authors and I wrote four books on men's mental health, because there were no books on specifically on men's mental health. And, and so we decided that they're chicken soup for the soul style. There are 12 guys in each book, have 12 stories. Each one has a different problem. Uh, first 500 words, life was good. Second 500 words, life went to hell in a handbasket. Third 500 words, here's how I'm coping. In hopes that other guys would pick it up, see themselves in one of the guys who's struggling and see what they were doing to cope and think, well, I could do that. So we have four books. Uh, the fourth one came out in April and Jay Leno blurred it for me. Hey, that's very cool. Well, I wrote jokes for him for 20 years. And... <laughs> I called him up and I said, hey, man, you blurred my fourth book. Oh, yeah, I'd be happy to. So it helped us go to number one in three categories on Amazon. I think number four or five in another category. It just reminds me, you know, when you were saying like, oh, big boys don't cry. You know, I'm like, yeah, I guess we all heard that growing up where you like you start to show any level of emotion or, you know, sadness or something. And they're like, what are you, a girl? Yeah, pussy. Um yeah, and the 
Construction has the highest rate of suicide. People always ask, why construction? Well, it's male heavy, mostly men, mostly rough and tough men who are even less likely to reach out for help. Here's a staggering statistic for you. Every year, roughly 1,000 people die in construction accidents, die by accident in construction. And every year, roughly 5,000 in construction die by suicide. That means you're five times more likely to jump off the building than fall off, which is just crazy. I just, it's staggering. So that's why I chose construction. Agriculture farmers have it really tough. You know, it's kind of a solo occupation subject to finance, the weather, crop prices, tariffs, just a real difficult. And they usually work alone. So, yeah, I'm afraid suicide's a growth industry. Yeah, and those are some shocking numbers. I mean, yeah, like you I, said, was, I was amazed. Five times more likely. Uh, yeah. Because people think construction and they're like, oh, you get injured all the time. Like they used to put in cartoons. It was so, you know, like comically prevalent. Is there like, oh, yeah, you know, and, put your hard hats on because there's falling bricks everywhere. Well, and part of the problem, part of the problem with construction is it's seasonal work. There's a lot of deadlines. And oftentimes, if you are injured on the job, they treat with opioids, which is a whole different sleigh ride through hell. Uh, by the way, the number of opioid deaths are not included in the number of suicide deaths every year. One person dies by suicide every nine minutes in the U.S., but that, that does not include the opioids deaths because unless they leave a note you don't know was it an accidental overdose was it an on-purpose overdose so uh, close to a hundred thousand people die from opioid abuse every year yeah so we kind of talked about you know the workplace especially that affects people is it usually like more work or more personal that you start to see people being affected and start leaning towards that suicidal ideation Yes, and that's what I teach. Here's the good news. Eight out of 10 people who are suicidal, on average, eight out of 10 are ambivalent. Nine out of 10 give hints in the last week leading up to an attempt, which means the vast majority of people can be saved. The vast majority of people want to be saved if they're given hints. The trick is you've got to know what to look and listen for, and that's what I teach. I teach the signs and symptoms of depression and thoughts of suicide what to say, maybe more importantly, what not to say, what to do, what not to do, and how to find resources. That's the heart of my curriculum. That's what I, you know, my learning outcomes or whatever when I speak. So there is good news if you can just, if you just know what you're looking at. Yeah. Are, are there like signs that someone is more likely to follow through on that or that they are, you know, just not reaching out for help? Yes. Yeah, so let's start with the signs of depression. Just a couple of three of my favorites. Um, have trouble getting out of bed in the morning, so they're often late to work or school. But by the afternoon, they rally and they seem like a different person. They eat too much or they can't eat. They sleep too much or they can't sleep. And then here's one you can actually observe with your own eyes. They let their personal hygiene go. So, you know, they're usually pretty well put together in the past, but now their hair's a little dirty, clothes aren't quite so clean. It may be because they're having trouble getting out of the bed in the morning and showering and running a load of wash. So what do you say to somebody who's depressed? Well, here's what you don't say. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Turn that frown upside down. Have you tried fish oil? Here's what you do say. I'm here for you and I mean it. I know you're not crazy or lazy or self-absorbed. I know that 
Depression is a mental illness. The good news is time and treatment, things will get better. I'll take the time. I'll help you get the treatment. And here's the tough one. You have to ask them just like this. Are you having thoughts of suicide? And if you can't ask that just that way, find somebody who can. And if you can't find somebody who can, call me and I'll ask. There's a, an old urban legend that you should never mention the, the word suicide in front of somebody who's depressed. I love this because it might give them the idea. Suicide, what a great idea. Why didn't I think of that? Please. Now, but let's say they don't admit they're suicidal. How would you know? Well, there are signs. They frequently talk about death and dying. You catch them Googling death and dying or how to die. They, the the uh, death and dying appears as a theme in their artwork or their music or their writing. They're getting their personal affairs in order, especially if they're giving away prized possessions because they want to make sure those possessions go to the people they want them to go to when they're gone. They're acquiring the means, either stockpiling medication or buying a firearm. And here's a counterintuitive one, very dangerous. They've been depressed forever and now they're happy for no apparent reason. Well, here's why they may be happy. They may have chosen time, place, and method, and they know the pain is coming to an end. Because most suicides are not about wanting to kill yourself. I don't want to kill myself. I simply want to end the pain. So what if they do tell you? Yeah, I'm suicidal. What do you say? You say, do you have a plan? If they have a plan, and it's detailed time, place, and method, do your best to get them to a mental health facility immediately for evaluation, perhaps medication. Now, here's one that's not in a book or course I've ever read or taken. What if they have suicidal thoughts, but the plan's not really well formed? What do you do? Well, a psychiatrist and I came up with this. I would say to them, well, tell me, are you going to kill yourself? And if they say no, I say, okay, tell me why not. Make them give voice to whatever's keeping them here, because something is, otherwise we wouldn't be having this conversation. So that's, that's the protocol. That's the signs and symptoms. That's what, right there. That's what I teach. I tell my story, what I learned, and then I teach that what you just heard. And hopefully, my goal is to save at least a life a day. Hopefully, I can pull that off. Yeah, and that's an honorable goal because, I mean, you are actively trying to reach out and help people. I mean, in quite literally their darkest hour. And it's interesting that you say, you know, like, oh, what's keeping you here? Because it, it lets you kind of like remind them that they have something keeping them here. It also lets you kind of keep an eye out where you're like, they're like, oh, it's because my everything at my job's going great. And then you're like, all right, watch to see if things turn bad at their job. <laughs> because yeah. That's or it's be- my parents, my parents, my religion, my dogs, my children, keeping them here. They call that a turning point in, in suicide prevention training is when you can get them to give voice. Like you said, get them to focus on, well, yeah, that's why I'm still here. Yeah, good point. That kind of thing. Yeah. Is there a, like a large crossover between people who like regularly self-harm and people who want to follow through with a suicide plan? Because I know there's a lot of talk where people say like, oh, people who self-harm don't want to kill themselves. Generally, that's the case. Non-lethal there's a name for it, non-lethal self-harm, cutting, burning, picking. Uh, they're just trying to feel something is what they've told me in the past, people who do that. They cut themselves, they burn themselves, they pick it, whatever. And uh, yeah, it's not generally a dress rehearsal for killing yourself. Now, putting a gun in your mouth, pulling the hammer back, see if you could do it. That's a dress rehearsal. 
I was, I wanted to see if I could do it and go that far and, you know, taste the barrel. And somebody asked me after a keynote, what the barrel tastes like? Relief. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, that is a moment. I think a lot of people don't ever get to, and the people that do get there, probably not a lot of them that, uh, pull that you know don't go through with it yes although i have a, an acquaintance up in portland which is about two hours from where we are in eugene shot himself in the chest and woke up in in the, the icu and his first thought was man what a loser i couldn't even kill myself so yeah but three times as many women attempt every year but men tend to complete because they use a firearm. So it comes a lot down to the method that people mm-hmm. are using to kill themselves. Because if you take a bottle of pills, you can always pick up the phone and go, oh my God, I just took a bottle of pills. Send an ambulance or whatever. Uh, but you know, you, you should have a gun in your mouth. <laughs> yeah, you got the, the front sights touching the roof of your mouth. Pretty much you pull the trigger. And I, mine was loaded with federal hydroshock hollow points. So there was no way anybody's coming back from that. Well, yeah, and it's one of those that uh, I guess you could grab any bottle of pills out of your your cabinet and you don't know if they're going to kill you or not. Yes, although some people are aware of Xanax. You can overdose on Xanax. I have a friend who would, her first attempt was when she was very young, eight, nine, ten years old. She tried to overdose on Flintstone vitamins because that's all she could reach in the medicine cabinet. And she jokes about it. Turns out you can't overdose on Barney's. Damn, couple extra Freds and uh Yeah, she'd be gone. Well, that's something. So are those kind of the two that we see the most is firearms and medications? Yes, although a number of people probably up there in the top four or five is uh you know, slicing, razor blade, bleeding to death. Again, that's more of a woman thing. More women attempt that way than men. Men tend to default to firearms. And hanging, you don't see a lot of women who hang themselves. Not near as many as men. That just seems like a really bad way to go. Just like, oof. (laughs) I know there's no real good way to go. But, you know, (laughs) hanging. And then jump off a bridge. They're famous. Kevin Hines jumped over the Golden Gate Bridge and survived. And just like everybody else who survived that drop, as soon as he let go of the handrail, he thought, oh, man, oh, I shouldn't have done this. And then he's got a funny story about it because he hits the water. He injured himself pretty badly, but he's still alive. He comes back up to the surface and he read all about he wanted to kill himself. The voices in his head were telling him to kill himself. So he lived in the Bay Area. So he typed into Google, how do you kill yourself in the Bay Area? Of course, there's a website and it suggested bridges. So he took a bus to the bridge and he said on the bus ride down there, if anybody asked him, hey, are you OK? He would have spilled his gut, said, no, I'm on the way to the bridge to kill myself. Please call the police. But nobody spoke to him. He's on the bridge. He's looking over the railing. Somebody taps him on the shoulder. He's thinking, oh, thank God. He turns around. And there's a tourist from Germany. She says, would you take our picture? Oh, sure. Why not? Took their picture, handed it back to the camera, crawled up on the railing, jumped. Hits the water, comes back to the surface, realizes he survived. And then he felt something large and aquatic bump his leg. He says the first thought he had was, 
sharks. I survived a drop off the Golden Gate Bridge and I'm going to get eaten by a shark. Turns out it was a sea lion. There are lots of them there in the bay. So, but anyway, that was Kevin's story. Yeah, it, it certainly, uh, I don't know, it's probably a bit grim, but like, I wouldn't want to pick a way that, you know, takes a minute. No, you're right. It's like people who jump out of a building. You got too much time to think on the way down. You know, there's, an, there's even a joke about that. The guy jumps out of a 45 story building. This is what it sounds like. Ah! Ah! <laughs> yeah, take another breath. So you can scream all the way down. Yeah, no, you do not. By the same token, I've known people who've jumped out of a five story building, and I have friends who are suicidal going, no way, man. I'm jumping out of a fight. You could walk away or limp away from that. You'd be really mangled. That's the last thing you need be depressed and mangled. So, yeah, you want to make sure you do it from at least high enough up that you don't have, don't have to scream twice, but it does the trick. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people that fall off of five story buildings accidentally, <laughs> walk away. Yeah, and, and, yeah, they could broke a leg or, you know, but yeah, walk away or limp away or survive it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, how do you have these conversations with people if you're, you know, say that they are, you know, suicidal to some extent mm -hmm. and you know, they need to get help. How do you, how do you just, I mean, do you just drag them there? Do you do whatever you have well, to do? That's the problem with adults. <laughs> you can't, you can't drag them. You know, they're adults. So first I encourage them to let them, let me take them to a mental health facility simply for evaluation. Okay. And then second, I would say, well, let's call the suicide prevention lifeline, which by the way is now 988. And if they won't call the suicide prevention lifeline, I would call it. And hopefully the volunteer could help me talk the phone into the hand of the person who's in crisis. If I believe they're in immediate danger to themselves or to themselves and others, I would call the police. The police come, and if they think the person is actively suicidal, they'll take them to jail and drag them in front of a judge. And the judge will determine, depending on the state, you know, whatever state, state in the union they're in, if they're going to have to do a three-day involuntary hold, an involuntary, an IDO, involuntary detention order. And if the judge says, you're going to the mental institution, you got to go spend 72 hours in there with no shoestrings or belt. But you'll get medication. You can, you know, you've got nothing to do but eat and sleep, which can be restorative. Probably not going to speak to me again because I called the cops. They're probably going to unfriend me on Facebook, but at least they're still alive. It's a difficult conversation, even for me. I mean, even as crazy as I am, you know, and even though I can relate, hear the same music. I'm not judgmental. I mean, a guy said to me on the phone one day because I give my phone number out of all my keynotes. Call me up. We're chatting. He's depressed, suicidal. In passing, he says to me, yeah, I picked up an Amtrak schedule. Okay, now a neurotypical person might think, oh, he's going on a train trip. But when I heard I picked up a train schedule, I knew exactly what he had in mind. I said, look, I'm not going to ask you not to kill yourself. I'm not going to ask you to promise not to kill yourself. What I am going to ask you to do is don't do it that way. Because the moment you step up on the tracks, you're going to lock eyes with the engineer and you're going to end your life and ruin there. So don't take somebody with you. Pick another way. So hopefully, I'm, I, he never called back. I'm hoping he's still alive and didn't do it on train track somewhere. Yeah, I had to give him a, a pause and thought like, oh man, am I going to scar somebody else doing this? 
Yeah, like jumping off a bridge into traffic and you're going to land on some poor soul's car. Are they ever going to be the same? Probably not. You know, what if the kids in the car and see this, you know, I, you know, I, that's why I say I'm not going to ask you that, not to kill yourself. I'm just going to ask you, don't do it that way. Now, here's the flip side of that is. Sorry to jump in right here in the middle of the episode. Um, Frank had a real brief statement that I legally cannot air on this podcast for any number of reasons, including some liability problems. So I'm just going to clip this here and uh, we'll jump right back in. Well, there's certainly that. So, I mean, it covers how you can talk to your friend, right? Or somebody even that you just care that they continue to live. Mm-hmm. Um, but talking to workplaces, like how do you encourage, you know, your someone's boss to reach out to their employee? Well, with bosses, what I normally do if it's a big enough business is encourage them to take the person to the human resources department because that's really their purview. They've got the EAP, the Employee Assistance Program binder. They know exactly what kind of mental health benefits the company offers. So, because I did some speaking for CEOs and they said, Frank, listen, great information, but this is not, this would not really be my problem to solve. If somebody came to me, I would, I would just take them down to HR and turn them over to HR because that's what they do. So, yeah, it's, and let's say you work in a dentist's office and you're a hygienist and you suspect, you heard me speak and you suspect your boss is suicidal. The guy runs the place, owns the place. How do you approach someone that you work for? That seems to me, I, and I've never been able to figure out exactly how to make that work. Because there's a, you know, the difference in authority, power, whatever. How do you approach? I would go to HR and say, look, you know, Dr. Bob, I think he's circling a drain. Somebody needs, you know, I saw him do this, this, and this. And I heard him say this and this. So it's not really my place to confront him. But I just want to let you guys know, I think he's struggling. I think he's, he's, he's you know, he's, he may be suicidal. I might tell anybody <laughs> who told you that. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's an interesting one because even if you, even if you had all the signs in the world where they had, you know, they'd made a bunch of jokes about it and they were, you know, talking about it really casually. And they were talking about like, maybe even specifically, like, I might go up to the cabin, tie some, some rocks to my legs and jump in. Like if you call the cops on your boss, and they, he does need help and they take him in, you know, and they put him on a, an involuntary, you know, detention. Yep. Like what happens when he comes back? Is he going to be grateful or is he going to fire you for having him arrested? Yeah, good question. Uh, yeah. That, that you're rolling the dice. Um, so yeah, I just, I've never been able to quite, I've never been able to, cause people ask that occasionally. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just a tech or a hygienist. I mean, what if I think the office manager's having trouble struggling? at? Um, now, if you have a friend, let's say, who's at a distance, like a high school chum or a college roommate, and you're looking at their Facebook feed and they're saying things that you think are dangerous, then if you seriously think they're having thoughts of suicide, you would call the police in their town, ask them to go by and do a simple welfare check. But again, if they find them actively suicidal, same story in front of a judge, maybe a three day hold. So it's, you know, your chances are you may lose a friend, but 
Hopefully they'll still be alive. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a trade-off, like, especially if we've, as, as out of touch as we've all gotten, you know, if you mm-hmm. lose a Facebook friend, but you've saved their life, I wouldn't feel too bad about it, honestly. <laughs> Nor would I. No, I just want to tell them, look, they're going to be pissed, but they're going to be alive. So, you know, yeah. it's, it's a trade-off. I mean, what's, what's the worst that's going to happen? You're going to unfriend me and send me a mean message or something? <laughs> yes. Yeah. They're trolling me. Fine. I can live with that. Yeah. So it's, yeah, but it is a difficult conversation, even for me, even, you know, having come as close as I did, having, you know, hearing the same music they hear, you don't have to explain anything. I get it. Um, but it's, it, I, I find it very therapeutic helping people that way. Yeah. So is there any advice you would have if someone was listening now and they feel, you know, particularly not even necessarily suicidal, but just, you know, they're feeling that depression and it, the thought has crossed their mind and they're not sure how they feel about that thought. Is there something you try and you know reach out and tell people? Yes, I would say at the very least, just give an evaluation. Just see an, a therapist. Tell them what your symptoms, what you've been thinking. Find out if it, it is a thing. If they, you know, if they're a classic. I got a friend who just saw a psychiatrist. And was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. I mean, he's got, if there's a top 10 list of symptoms, he's got them all. But it was very comforting to him to know that it had a name, that he wasn't just some kind of freak. And it's going to get medication. And, and also, I would have a physical. I have a friend here in Eugene, actually an acquaintance, who was really depressed. And he went in and he had a physical, you know, the checkup, blood work, all that kind of stuff. And come to find out, his body can't metabolize iron. That's why he was depressed. So they put him on what they call a slow iron supplement, which is time released and depression gone. So it wasn't, men- sometimes mental illnesses present as physical ailments. So I suggest a mental evaluation checkup and a physical checkup as well, just in case whatever it is is organic, you know, something that's affecting you. Maybe it's something at work you're inhaling, some kind of chemical that's causing this problem in your body. So yeah, before you go all, you know, all mental illness, double check on the physical side. Well, yeah, and I've been told before because I also live in Oregon and uh, we don't get enough sun here. And they told me my vitamin D levels were way too low and that can lead to depression symptoms. I take a, I take a vitamin D supplement every day for that very reason. Although I got to tell you, I lived in Southern California for 11 years and it was just sunny, 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 sunny. So the sun actually depresses me. I have reverse seasonal affective disorder. I love short, wet, cold days. I love the winters here because, well, I'm being depressed. You know, when sun goes that, you know, sun goes down about four o'clock in the afternoon in Oregon in January. I'm like, well, it's dark. I'm going to bed. Sorry. Right. <laughs> Day's over, man. Sun's gone. Day's over, man. Sun went down. I'm going. <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. Well, I, I appreciate this. I think we got a really good message for people and a lot of good, you know, tips on how to help the others around you. I'd love to give you some time so you can, you know, plug the books that you've written because I think that's important too. Well, if you go to the mental health comedian, the mental health comedian, put an email address in, you can download the first book, uh, the audio book. I, I narrate it. I'm going to narrate them all. So you're for free. Just put your email address in, you can download the MP3. It's unabridged. It's the first book. I narrate it. Second thing, and this is a public service, is every time I've spoken since 2014 and mentioned that I have something called chronic suicidal ideation. 
which means for me and people in my tribe, the option of suicide is always on the menu as a solution for problems large and small. And when I say small, and I say this to the audience, my car broke down a couple of years ago. I had three thoughts unbidden. One, get it fixed. Two, buy a new one. Three, hell, I could just kill myself. Every time I've done that, there's been at least one person in the audience who has that condition, chronic suicide. They have no idea it has a name, that it's a thing. They think they're just some kind of freak and all alone. And, and a young woman come up after my keynote. She goes, thanks for the keynote. I said, you're welcome. She goes, but I got to tell you, it made me weep. How did it make you weep? She goes, you know your story about the car? Get it fixed, buy a new one, kill yourself? Yeah, yeah. She goes, I've been having those thoughts all my life. I just thought it was me. I didn't know that had a name. I thought I was some kind of freak and all alone. And when I heard you say that out loud, she said, I realized for the first time in my life, I'm in fact not alone. And I wept. So there are a lot of people out there who feel whatever the illness is, they feel like they're the only ones. But trust me, 25% of the population in the U.S. has a mental challenge of some kind. So chances are you're not alone. Yeah, and it's good just to be able to put a name on it because, like you said, putting any name on it, you're like, oh, how many people have that? And they're like, I don't know. We looked at the uh, the statistics two months ago, and it was like 30 million. So, <laughs> a yeah, whole lot. Uh, a friend of mine just got I said diagnosed with uh, borderline personality disorder, and he was amazed at the number of people who have it. There's uh, meetup groups for it all over the country. I mean, there's hundred i'm guessing thousands tens of thousands hundred thousand people who have that so it was i mean he said i said well you know uh borderline the the, the bad news is you've got it the good news is so do a you know a lot of people and i said the joke i wrote for him was i've got bad news and worse news bad news is i've got borderline personality disorder worse news is it's the borderline between russia and ukraine <laughs> there's the joke yeah. So, but if you can make a joke about it, you can reduce the stigma. You can change people's, you know, prejudices by making show them. People will look at me and think, "Wait a minute, you wrote jokes for Leno for twenty years. You've been a comic for thirty-five full time. I don't look like what most people think of as somebody who's got mental illness." And so we're changing the perceptions, which can change prejudices and, in the long term, reduce stigma. Awesome. That's my job. Yeah, no, I think it's great. And I hope people, you know, follow up and have these conversations. You know, if you're out there and you know somebody who even, you know, just meets those those criteria, like they are constantly saying they're not sleeping or their hair is a mess and they're constantly, you know, snacking on candy and like maybe just reach out to them and be like, hey, everything going all right, man? Yeah, or they say something like, you know, you're not gonna, nobody here is going to have to worry about me next week. Well, does that mean you're changing jobs, going back to college? Does that mean you're going to kill yourself? So, yeah, I always take those. What you're looking for is a pattern of behavior and, and you know, verbalizing. Um, yeah, they don't have to worry about me after this week. Okay, hold on. Why is that? Going back to college, changing jobs, what, moving? Or, because, you know, I said nine out of ten people give hints in the last seven days leading up to the attempt. So they want to be saved. They just want somebody to pick up on. Yeah. I may, I imagine it just gets to that point where you're like, I think I've done all the heavy lifting I can do. And uh, I'm ready for somebody else to give it a try. Yeah. it's I do. I tell a story. and I didn't know how much impact this would have when I decided to put it at the, at the tail end of one of my TED Talks about Sisyphus, Greek character mythology. He gave fire to man and his punishment 
it was, you probably know this, was to roll a rock up a hill every day. And the idea was if he got it over the top of the hill, he could retire. But every time he got the rock near the top of the hill, it rolled back down to the bottom. So having a mental illness is like that. Every morning you wake up, there's a rock in the hill. Some days the rock is small, the hill's not so steep. Some days the rock is a boulder and the hill is Everest. But every day without fail, there's a rock in the hill. And, and I said to the audience, look, my job is to make sure that when you wake up tomorrow morning, you can still move the rock. I think that's a good message to end on. So I appreciate you being on. This has been a great interview. I, I really appreciate it. Hey, might have saved a life. Who knows? <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of the Just Dumb Enough podcast. If you want to help the show grow, rate it five stars on iTunes, Spotify, or Audible. And you can also help by telling people you know about the show. I'm always looking for new topics, guest ideas, and questions from the audience. To reach out to me, email dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com or send a message to any of the show pages on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or wherever else. That's all for this week. Enjoy your weekend. I'll see you Monday for the next Dream Chasing episode. Bye bye